changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Well, good evening and welcome to the 30th episode of What's the Word? I can hardly believe that I have had the special privilege over these last 30 weeks to bring a one-hour show to you with all sorts of different stories and content and devotions. And now we've been through different seasons together uh, through the winter, the spring. Now we're into the summer. It's already June. And it's just hard to believe that we've been through so many seasons, even already through 30 weeks. But I'm so blessed as the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church to host this show and they make this show possible along with the good folks at Grissom Martin Funeral Home. They are a tremendous sponsor as we continue to pray and lift up David Martin and his wife Kathy as uh, David is continuing to uh, go through some processes to have better health as we pray that the Lord will bless him and provide that for him. And this show is also made possible by a dare drug, and we're thankful for Carolyn Hale and Janet Parrish and all of the sweet folks that they have working there at a dare drug, and just what a tremendous job that they do, being a benefit and a blessing to our community. And so, for the past thirty weeks, I have been able to have this radio show to, I hope, be a blessing to you, and I hope that tonight is certainly no different. I have so much content for you for this show tonight, I doubt I'll be able to get to all of it. And if I do, I'll just have to highlight things because there has been a flood of different types of stories that all have the same thread that goes through all of them. When I looked at some of the different, you know, what I do, just to kind of give you a little insight is I, I start this process early in the week and I begin looking and, and thinking through what kind of a topic do I want to talk about on the show? Uh, do I fi- Can I find stories that are all similar? And a lot of times I kind of look for certain things through the lens of a certain idea that I have. And Once I do that, it's like all of these stories that I see on the internet or in the newspaper and, you know, what I'm preaching and talking about through the week, they all just seem to weave together. And so tonight I'm bringing you an episode, a a one hour show on life and the value of life. And I think that a lot of times in our own country and certainly around the world, but in particular, talking about America, the debates rage on, the stories keep coming, the laws keep getting passed and or changed, and it all centers around and spins around the same issue of the value of human life. And a lot of times as a country, if not if not almost all all the time, we talk out of both sides of our mouth. We say one thing about the value of human life, and then we turn around and devalue human life in another way. And so I want to be able to, I hope, touch on so many different examples of the value of human life. Some of them are stories that are heartwarming. Some of them are stories that are heartbreaking. And I want you to be aware of how you can pray for our country, how you can pray for all of our elected officials from uh, President Trump all the way down to our own local community and some elected officials that we have in our community that perhaps get overlooked or undervalued, but every single aspect of society and certainly lawmakers and those that uphold the law, they all need to be prayed for. And when I share some of these stories with you tonight, you will understand exactly why that is the case. Probably the one that I want to begin with 
is one that is, there's two that I want to share with you tonight that are very controversial around our country, and one of them involves the death penalty. There has been a movement, it may not be on your radar, but there has been a movement of repealing the death penalty. Now, many states have the death penalty, many of them don't. And this past week, Pennsylvania is one state that is seeking to uh, repeal the, the death penalty. In fact, they have had 408 men and women who have been sentenced to death since 1978, but only three of them have been executed over those 41 years. So they have all received that sentence in a court of law, but only three of them have been put to death. Now, that's not to say that in those 41 years that all of them lived a long life. In fact, 230 of those 408, so well over half, uh, have had their sentences vacated or overturned. And they were resentenced to life in prison. Six of those were exonerated. Uh, another 33 of those 408 died of natural causes, and three committed suicide. But in this particular state, there is a movement by some conservative representatives, uh, Republican representatives, who are backed by a large group of conservatives really around the country that are seeking to get rid of the death penalty. In fact, there's a group that is called Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. And, you know, primarily what this particular group, the one I just named, what they try to do is create awareness of the death penalty. And so I looked into their group, and in fact, their, their lead and their spokesperson is a friend of mine. And if you wonder why a certain group like that exists and why they are concerned about the death penalty, a lot of it has to do with not only the process of the legal system, and certainly that's part of it, because when someone is sentenced to death, oftentimes a state that is aggressive about the death penalty will seek to move through with the death penalty and carry it out fairly quickly, at least as quickly as they can. And some would say, well, if someone is sentenced to death, why aren't they put to death immediately? Well, the legal system doesn't work like that. A lot of times when someone receives any kind of a sentence, there are appeals that they are allowed to have and to process. And so it takes time to work through those appeals and, and certain aspects of whether it's uh, certain evidence or whether it's you know an issue with the jury or something new comes to light you know before that person is processed into the you know with the death penalty and put to death some some new evidence may call for a new trial or a mistrial or whatever and so the legal system really is a a tangled web and it takes quite a long time because honestly there are a lot of cases of uh, of criminality of of murder of some of these more you know hardened criminals that need to be processed and so uh, that's one of the main concerns that this group, uh, Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty, is the name of their group. That's part of the reason why they're concerned is to give people the time and the opportunity, especially now that DNA evidence is is growing and, and that science is being refined, to just give someone the opportunity legally to be able to appeal in case there is you know, better evidence that comes afterwards. Um, they state that the process of the death penalty is a drain on the resources. Um, you know, again, if you put somebody to death and later it was found that they were innocent through DNA or through some other evidence or through somebody's testimony, then there's a lawsuit for the family. Um, you know, so that's a that's an issue. Um, the the victims' families really don't feel any kind of a any kind of closure because if they have lost a family member, 
they may immediately feel like, well, that person needs to be put to death because they took the life of one of our family members. And yet, some victim families feel as though that's the easy way out. You know, that person really doesn't have to pay with their own life, meaning that they have to live the rest of their life in a prison cell. They kind of get the easy way out and their life is ended. Um, they argue, this group argues, that the death penalty doesn't keep us safe, uh, which I would agree with that as well. I don't think that it is a strong deterrent. You would think that it would be, but I, it really doesn't seem to be. I, you know, I think most people value freedom, and so they want to be out. And a lot of times they use prison sentences like a, a rite of passage, and they go in, they go out. And you would think that something like the death penalty would put somebody's life, you know, would end someone's life, that that would deter crime, but it just doesn't seem to. Um, but again, as I said at the top of the hour, what the show is about tonight and the reason I'm bringing this to you is what is the value of human life? And is one life counted as payment for taking the life of someone else. Is that a, a fair sentence? If someone murders someone, is the immediate response to take that person's life, is that right? Um, again, when you're talking to conservatives that are concerned about the death penalty, uh, a lot of them, uh, I wouldn't say all of them, I don't know, I can't speak for them, but, but many of them, who do believe in Christ and have been born again, their issue is giving that person an opportunity to repent. They don't feel as though they have the right, as they put it, to play God and take someone's life. And so they believe, even if this person is a criminal, as long as they have life and breath, they have an opportunity to come to know Jesus. And in fact, prison ministry and, and prison revivals and and uh, giving Bibles to inmates and those that have come to know Christ that are on the inside of a prison system, you know, they have the opportunity to share the gospel. And so when you put someone to death, obviously they have no more opportunity to hear and to repent and to come to know Christ. And so that's just part of the reasonings and the rationale why so many states are seeking to go uh, and to ter overturn the death penalty in their own state. And I read in an article that 29 states still allow capital punishment. So well over half of the states uh, in this country still allow capital punishment and would still take a life and, and believe in the death penalty. So when you talk about conservatives that are trying to overturn the death penalty, they certainly have a long way to go. But if we value human life, and if we see that repentance is possible and that giving someone the opportunity to live the rest of their life behind bars but still have the opportunity to come to know Christ and have a testimony that reaches outside of the prison, then you certainly pray that that would make a tremendous difference. And so I just found this entire, I guess this, this whole dialogue interesting uh, because there are certainly a number of prisoners who have given their life to Christ and have made a difference and made an impact, you know, within prison. And so, again, even if they had been put to death, that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so. But there's just there's a lot of issues that go into it, and I certainly don't claim to have all of the answers of whether or not uh, capital punishment and the death penalty is right or wrong. I'm simply giving you the rationale for this particular group of why they're concerned about it. And and I do think that it is worth a conversation. I, I would, after reading some of the rationale and listening to some of those that are concerned about it, I think that, number one, if it's not a deterrent to crime, and if there's reason to believe that it doesn't truly help a family in the grieving process and the loss of their own family member. And then plus the, the, the idea that the person does not have the opportunity to come to know Christ. I, I certainly 
understand that, you know, the Bible teaches us that our days are numbered and that the Lord has them numbered in his book. And so there is that concern when you think of a sentence of death that it is a person deciding when someone would would die and that that is uh, perhaps going against God and his word. You know, I can understand those those rationales for it. But again, this is another reason why in our country we need to be people of prayer. We need to pray for our lawmakers and we need to listen to this conversation. You know, a lot of times we want justice. We want to pronounce a sentence. We want vengeance. We want to feel justified in saying, you know, this person did this to me, therefore I think they should pay in this way. And honestly, so many times it is not our individual decision to make. And in, and in many cases, you know, we do need to leave it to the court system and we do need to leave it in the hands of God and trust that even if someone gets away with it in a court of law, that they will not get away with it in the eyes of God. And so it's a very difficult, very tender conversation. It is, it is a very sensitive issue that a lot of people deal with. And I just wanted to make you all aware so that you could join me in praying for our different lawmakers and our our different court systems around the country and, and all of the different states that wrestle with whether or not we should have the death penalty. Um, on a little bit of a lighter note, before I go to the other issue, the other topic that speaks so much to the value of a human life. Uh, there are so many stories I, I read. I, I don't necessarily have an affinity for or a love for crime stories, uh, although I do pay attention to uh, different uh, uh, attacks, different you know murders, and and different. Uh, you know, police reports and things like that, not because I have a fascination with the event. I have a fascination with the mental state of why does somebody do some of the things that they do? What makes a person, other than just saying, well, it's, it's, it's sin, which I know is the root cause of all of our uh, sinful acts and disobedience against the Word of God, but what specifically triggered a person to do something that they did. I'll give you a great example. There was a 12-year-old boy who was supposed to be living in Florida with his sister and with his father and stepmother and attending school. However, he died in an Indiana hospital a week or so ago, a little over a week ago, and he had signs of abuse, neglect, and starvation. This 12-year-old boy had been chained to and kept in a dog collar. He had been starved. He had been chained and kept in a dog collar in a bathroom. And his his own mother didn't even know that he left the state of Florida and ended up in an Indiana hospital. This 12-year-old boy was neglected. He was beaten. He was confined by his 32-year-old father, by his 25-year-old stepmother, and they are obviously in prison. They have been arrested. But the couple slowly starved him to death in a Bloomington, Indiana motel, which is how he ended up escaping. And again, everybody thought the, the boy lived in Florida with these people, and they were out of the state and were all the way in Indiana. And, and like I said, his own mother, who he didn't live with, but his own mother didn't even know where he was. But he had been out of the state of Florida for a week and, again, was abused, was starved, was, was chained in a bathroom, had a dog collar on. And we read stories like that and we think, the first thing we think is, what's wrong with people? Why would you take a 12-year-old boy and treat him worse than what you would do with a dog, with an animal? Why would you treat a 12-year-old boy this way? You see, this is the heart of the issue with what is the value of human life? I'm not talking about somebody that, 
has been a terrible person, someone who has committed murder, someone who has done something that is awful and and, and terrible. We're talking about a 12-year-old boy who, okay, he's 12. I'm sure he's been disobedient. I'm sure that he's talked back. I'm sure he was doing some, you know, 12-year-old boy types of, of things to be an irritant to his family. But did any of that warrant him being chained to into a bathroom with a dog collar and being starved and being beaten? You know, we, we have to ask ourselves and, 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 and honestly just think for just a moment, what is the value of human life? And if as a parent you are bringing life into the world, you're being entrusted by God with that child. You have a responsibility to care for that child. If that care, if that responsibility is more than you can bear, if that burden, if that frustration, if the obedience and, and, and the discipline and training that child is just more than you can handle, then get some help. But treating your own son and allowing your, your wife, his, this boy's stepmother, to engage in and join in on mistreating this 12-year-old uh, boy is just inexcusable. I mean, he was severely starved. He had bruises, lacerations, ulcers all over his body. I mean, it was a shock collar they had around his neck. He was chained to a bathtub towel bar in a motel bathroom. Absolutely inappropriate. No place whatsoever for that. What is the value of human life? Why do parents see their own children less than, than how other people would look at a 12-year-old? It's almost as though because that child belonged to this family and, and belonged to this father that he valued the life of this boy less than I do. And I, don't even, I, I didn't even know the child. But I can't possibly imagine what would lead a father and a stepmother to treat a 12-year-old child this way. Listen, whenever you walk around town... Whenever you go into a store and you see families and you see people walking together and, and you see children, you have no idea what goes on behind the closed doors of their home. But I want to challenge you, the next time you see families together and you see children in a store or going up and down the aisle in a grocery store, just stop for a moment and pray. And just pray that whatever is going on behind closed doors of that family, that God would be in control. And that child would be protected and loved and safe. I read another story that, again, you talk about what is the value of human life, the exact opposite of what I just shared with you. There's a couple that got married in the ICU. Their, his bride, the, the groom, decided that they, want, they were going to get married in ICU, and the bride was diagnosed with stage four cancer and heart failure. And they took some beautiful pictures together, dressed her up in a, in a beautiful dress. And of course he wore the tux and she's got the flowers. And, and she was 25, is 25 years old, had a lump in her neck that she noticed and was diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma and progressive heart failure and is in the hospital in Melbourne, Australia. And he decided that he would propose to her, and her response was overwhelming. And like I said, they did her hair, makeup, beautiful dress, flowers, right there in ICU, laying in a hospital bed, tubes connected to her, wires connected to her, and they got married right there. You know, I read a story like this and instantly my thought is that is incredibly sweet, but it's also incredibly tragic because here is a 25-year-old young lady who has just 
pronounced herself to be the loving bride of this thoughtful, loving, kind young man. She is battling for her life, and all we could do is pray that God brings healing to her so that she can live a long, healthy life with him. How tragic would it be that this beautiful young couple would not be able to see their 25th or 50th wedding anniversary? You know, they may not make it five years. She may not make it five months with stage four, uh, stage four cancer and, and heart failure. But you see, love wins in this story. And because she loved him and because he loves her, they wanted to, before God and before witnesses, they wanted to pronounce their love to each other and be married. That is a heartwarming story that tells you that people value human life. She wanted to marry this man if she was going to die in this hospital. In five days, five weeks, five months, however long, or if she was going to walk out of this hospital, she wanted to die having been the wife of this young man. That's a wonderful story of life. It's a wonderful story of love for him to look at this woman and say, I'm going to be by your side. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to be here with you. I'm sure he was already there and already professed his love and already had a strong commitment to be with her, but now took it to almost a catastrophic, I mean, a, a, a uh, mind-blowing level just infinitely more saying, I will be with you. I will love you. I will be by your side. And I want to be your husband and walk alongside with you uh, with you through this journey. And, and thanks be to God that people love each other like that. So many stories of spouses walking out on other spouses and their worst moments and looking at a, a person laying in a hospital bed and seeing what they can't do for you. But, you know, love is not about that. It is about what can I give to you. And he gave her a gift of hope, gave her the gift of love, gave her the gift of commitment, and gave her the gift of himself. And they gave that gift to each other. And I'm so thankful to read a story like this because when you think, what is the value of human life? That is the value of commitment in human life right there that regardless of how many breaths this young lady has left on this earth, whether it is in the millions or whether it is in the dozens, this young man says, I'm going to be by your side. It's an amazing story, and it reminds you the value of human life is always greater than what some people say that it is. Give you another example. And again, as I said, I, I have no fascination with stories like this. I, I don't read these stories because they do something for me. I, I read these kinds of stories because I wonder what is in the human heart, what influences a person to do this kind of thing. There was a 29-year-old woman in New York who had been brutally beaten and raped last week. She jumped out of a second-floor window where she had been assaulted for six hours by a 53-year-old man. They were looking for him and seeking to arrest him in Queens, right outside of Manhattan in New York City. I mean, this woman went through six hours of torment under this man and was willing, like I said, to jump out of a two-story window just to get her freedom back. Now, those kinds of stories, you can find those in any city. You can find them in any town. You can find stories like that of, of, of sexual assault or personal assault or robbery or homicide. I mean, those kinds of stories are, unfortunately, are a dime a dozen. And especially in bigger cities, it seems as though those kinds of things happen far too regularly. So why do I bring it up? Because you're talking about one person having enough 
dominance over another person to abuse them for six hours to the point that someone would be willing to jump out of a window just to get freedom. And when you ask the question, I'm asking, what's the value of human life? Why should one person have the ability to think so little of another person and want to dominate that person so much and, and, and so severely to where they are the master, they are in control, they are calling the shots. Obviously, this man has no value, sees no value in this woman's life. And how sad is that? that he treats her like an object and that he abused her in this way and thought so little of her that he would abuse her in this way. What's the value of human life? You know, I think uh, if there's one Bible verse that I, you know, certainly memorized as a child that many people don't realize is a Bible verse— but that is the Lord telling us to do unto others as we would have others to do unto us. You know, the golden rule, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Do unto other people as you would have them do unto you. When you think about how you value human life, it really speaks to how you value your life. Because if you treat someone like an object, you obviously don't value your own life. And if you really wanted somebody to value you, you would then in turn value them. And we have to get back to that. We have to model that. We have to be, as believers in Christ, we have to model an example of serving others and putting their needs ahead of our own. And we've got to value their life. You know, when you value people's time, you value people's money, you value people's opinion, well, you value their life when you put their needs ahead of your own. And certainly we've got to get back to that and model that. If we ever want to see a change in our society where people value the life of one another, we as believers in Christ need to practice the value, practice the, the, the worth that someone has by putting their needs ahead of others. And so I just want to challenge you. Find somebody this week that you can serve. Put the needs of someone ahead of your own and let them know the reason I'm doing this is because I care about you. I value you. God brought you into this world, and I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to do something for you to make you feel loved and special and valued. You know, if you wonder why I gave you that challenge and wondering why this particular episode tonight is all about the value of human life and what is the cost, what is the value, what is the worth of a human being, you know, that's really a fundamental question in so many news stories that you see. Because honestly, when you think about it, every law that exists that prosecute someone to any degree of something that they do against another person, even if it's something like a verbal assault, if it's something like a break-in to someone's home or some kind of a personal attack or as severe as homicide. Our laws exist to prosecute people when they do something to harm another human being. And that speaks to the value of human life. And sometimes as a country, we forget that. And there are so many instances, as I said at the top of the hour, where we talk out of both sides of our mouth. And one example, again, another sad example, as I mentioned about the 12-year-old boy who was essentially... I should say kidnapped because really he was restrained and, and what a terrible story that was. But I also read another story out of Texas where a man is accused of shooting his adult son and then having a 20-minute father-son talk with him before fatally stabbing him with a kitchen knife. 
Now, I realize that this kind of a story is alarming, and some of these things that I'm mentioning to you, it seems over the top. But I do this because here is a 68-year-old man charged with first-degree felony murder in the death of his 27-year-old son in a community right outside of Houston. And the rationale for this, the reason why this man says that he did what he did, is because he said that he has had to call law enforcement on his son in the past, but they were never able, in his words, to fix it. Whatever it is, whatever problem they were having. And so on this particular day, he decided that he would fix it. And he did that by shooting him, and then apparently by having a 20-minute conversation with him, a heart-to-heart, so to speak, uh, as he called it a father-son discussion, a, a, a talk, a an opportunity to share his heart with him before taking his life. I, I read this kind of story, and quite honestly, I know that there is violence that happens all over, and I know that in communities everywhere things like this happen. But we're talking about another instance, just like with the 12-year-old boy, another instance of a father and a son who should have the kind of relationship where the father is pouring into the son to become a better man than even he was. And instead, you have a story like this where obviously they didn't get along or perhaps there was some kind of friction between their relationship for whatever reason. And obviously there there was some disrespect because in the story, the news story, it talked about the lack of respect that the son had for the dad and the lack of respect the dad obviously had for the son and led him to take the life of his own son. Now, again, the the topic this evening is the value of human life. You have a father at 68 years old who is four decades older than his son, who is 27, who has lived more than than double the amount of time that his son has been on this earth. And he decides that because he can't get along with his son, that instead of trying to work it out or instead of just disassociating himself with his son or at least distancing himself from his son, he decided that the best thing to do is to take a young man who is on the beginning side of life and take his life because he found his son to be disrespectful and annoying. There is no value of human life when someone who is on the back end of their life decides that someone who is less than half their age doesn't deserve to grow up. At 27 years old, I'm sure this 68-year-old man probably made some mistakes. I'm sure that he was not the ideal son to his father. I'm sure that he probably showed disrespect to somebody somewhere, and yet his life was spared. And now his 27-year-old son is dead and will never learn the lesson. We'll never learn to grow and, and develop a deeper relationship with his father. Again, the, there's no value of human life. This is why churches everywhere need to invest in families. We need to say things to families. We need to pray for families. We need to give them direction, and we need to share with them what the Bible says about how to invest in the next generation so that the next generation is stronger and more committed to Christ than your own. See, this is part of the problem. We are so selfish in our thinking. We want what we want, when and how we want it. And yet, if you really think about it, you are a link on a chain And you are connected to the generation before you, and the generation behind you is depending on you. And so many times people think that they are it, that they are the most important person, the most important generation, the most important whatever on the planet, and they forget that they should be training a generation behind them to 
make the world a better place, so to speak, and to model for the next generation the character of Christ and to pass on the gospel of Jesus to them. But see, somewhere along the way, this 68-year-old man perhaps never even had the chance to come to know Christ. I don't know if this man is a believer in Jesus or not. Based on his actions, I would say he may not be. And you would think that if he did know the Lord, that he certainly would want his 27-year-old son to know the Lord. But instead, he ended his life because they, the two of them could not get along. There's no value in human life anymore. People don't value the opinions of other people. They don't value the insight of other people. They don't value what somebody else can bring into the world. I mean, who's to say in a year or two or in a month or two, this 27-year-old young man may have had his entire life changed. And here he is, not even 30 years old and could have been a tremendous blessing for decades to come on people around him. Well, you know, it is Father's Day coming up. And I saw uh, several articles of some of the best gifts you can get for dads. You can go straight to Walmart. Now, if this article existed for moms, it would get laughed at. The fact that it exists for dads makes all the sense in the world. Do you know why? Because dads are practical. Everything on this list is in some way, shape, or form practical. That's not to say that moms aren't practical. In fact, for Mother's Day, a lot of times for my wife or my mom, I will get them things that are incredibly practical. But I usually will partner that with something that is not as practical, like something that they would enjoy that's not something that perhaps they would use on an everyday basis or, you know, something like a, a gift certificate to get your nails done or a massage or something like that. You know, those are appropriate Mother's Day types of gifts. But you give dads a manicure or you give dads a bunch of flowers and dads don't really, most dads don't know what to do with that stuff. Not to say that dads wouldn't appreciate the thought, but something like a fishing bag. You know, it's a soft-sided fishing bag. Uh, something like a square pizza stone where you can cook a pizza on the grill. That's a dad gift. That's something that dads, you know, would like. A wet-dry uh, electric shaving kit. This, I mean, that's Dad 101. Dads are practical. A pack of golf balls. He may not ever use them. He may lose them on the front nine, but it's the thought that counts. Now, somebody put on the list an air fryer, which is not a terrible idea. You know, if you like frying food, but you want to do it without all of the saturated fat, you're, you know, you're helping dad to at least be healthier. Set of outdoor lights. A Bluetooth speaker? I mean, all of these things are perfect gifts for dad. A robe made by Fruit of the Loom, you can buy that at Walmart. An inflatable kayak. It won't take up space, Mom, in the garage. You just blow it up, get in the water, and go. How about a just a traditional wristwatch? A nice new, fresh, clean design, maybe a color he doesn't have. You know, these types of things make great gifts for dads. Now, I am the type that I would much prefer to give than to receive. I do not like to get gifts. I'm a terrible gift receiver. I like to be thoughtful and purchase things for others, but getting gifts, I that's uh, tough. But if somebody got me something that's on this list, like an Omaha Steaks gift set, Omaha Steaks is amazing. Their steaks are great. That's a dad gift. A new pair of house slippers for dad. A pair of sunglasses, a nice shirt, and an iPad mini. There's so many things. A hammock. See, these are practical things. 
because dads are practical. Not to say that moms aren't, but again, if we are concerned about showing love and, and, and investing in other people and showing that other people mean something to us, maybe your relationship with your dad was difficult and was not all that it should be. But dads, that doesn't mean that you can't step up and be a far better dad to your kids and be a good example to other dads around you. Or even if you're not a father, guys, you have still have an opportunity to invest in younger men in your church and in your neighborhood and hold them accountable and tell them things about the Bible, share with them things that God's doing in your life, and use those connections, those relationships to invest in them. And we need to be focused on the next generation, and we need to love and appreciate those dads that are investing in the next generation. I told you at the top of the hour, or close to it, that there were two sort of controversial issues in asking the question, what is the value of human life? For three and a half years, I lived in the state of Illinois, pastored a church, and saw different issues in the state with the government and you know, the, the budget and things like that and, and the roads and construction, you know, all of those kind of typical state issues that come up from time to time. But I just noticed the other day that Illinois passed, their Senate passed, SB 25. SB 25 is the Reproductive Health Act, and it passed in a vote of 34 to 20. And this bill expands abortions through nine months and requires insurance companies to provide coverage. This is a partial birth abortion bill that allows now for what is a DNX or a partial birth abortion where all except basically the head of the child is delivered when the abortion is performed, up through nine months. Now, there were several months ago, back in January, in fact, that New York and Virginia had passed very similar bills and people were outraged. And then there became a wave of conscience, I think, that went through several states that went the exact opposite. Instead of expanding abortion like New York and Virginia, they made it illegal and good for them. You hear the heartbeat, they said, then you cannot perform the abortion. If that's when life is recognized, you know, you, you know that that fetus in there, that child is developing and the heart is beating, you can hear it, you can see it. That is life, and there is no abortion that can be performed at that stage of pregnancy, and praise God. But states like Illinois are now going the other direction, and they are expanding the opportunity to not only have the abortion, but also requiring insurance companies to pay for it. And so for your copay, your out-of-pocket, your deductible, it's far less expensive if you have insurance. This is amazing that states like Alabama and Georgia and Missouri are pro-life and have turned the corner back to saying if the heart is beating, we're not going to allow an abortion to be performed. And now you have a full-term baby, fully developed, ready to enter the world, ready to be birthed, and yet now, just by keeping the head inside the womb, now it is acceptable to end that child's life in Illinois. It says that in, in New York, this is the way that it reads, their house bill is 2495, and it said HB 2495, 
would virtually eliminate all protections for preborn children, allow infanticide, remove conscious protection laws for health care workers, allow taxpayer funding for abortions, and more. It would also repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act of 1995, making it so that minors can obtain abortions without parental notifications. It's amazing to think that we would get outraged over a woman who is kept for six hours in a room against her will and is beaten and raped. We would be outraged that a 12-year-old child would have a shock collar around its neck and be starved and beaten and chained to a bar in a bathroom in a motel. We would be outraged that a, and, and, and prosecute a 68-year-old dad who killed his 27-year-old son after having a heart-to-heart conversation with him. And yet we have states in our own country that are saying a child who has done nothing except develop healthy and normally and naturally, receiving nutrients and vitamins and essential protein from the mother, receiving care for nine months and safety and protection, can all but be born in just simply seconds from having a birthday, have their life taken out and not blink an eye. Interesting that we talk out of both sides of our mouth because we don't value human life. We don't value all human life. We value our own life. We value human life when it's convenient. We value human life like when one is taken, in the case of this 12-year-old or 27-year-old or this woman who was raped and beaten and, and assaulted. And why do we prosecute people like that? Because we don't want that to happen to us. And so we put laws on the books to protect us from things like that happening so that when it does happen, we prosecute the person who carried out that shameful act. Well, now we have the opportunity to, by law, at least it says, take away all guilt, all responsibility, even the funding that comes out of pocket, taking away some of that to make it easier, taking away anything that protects and values human life. And now we have three states that have gone so far as to basically saying you can kill a child on its birthday, on its very first birthday. I don't know what's wrong with America, but I think it starts right there. I don't know what our essential problem is as a country, but I think it begins and ends with the value of human life. Because if you think about a church, and you think about a church that you're a part of, if your church values human life, then your church is going to do a couple of essential things. Number one, your church is going to worship God. If your church values human life, you're going to worship God because the Bible teaches us that God is the giver of all life. You're going to value the Creator who has spun everything into existence and holds it all in His hands. Another thing you're going to do as a church, if you value human life, is you're going to lift up the Son of God. You're going to exalt Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus left heaven to be born naturally on this earth and to walk on this planet for 33 and a half years, but ultimately to give his life as the supreme sacrifice, the one and only necessary death for all of our sin, for all time. And he gave his life and died on a Roman cross so that we might have eternal life, was buried and rose on the third day, 
and now sits at the right hand of the Father and is coming again. You see, if a church values human life, we're going to talk about eternal life. Because you see, if our life on this planet doesn't matter, then eternal life is of no value either. But if people value their life on this planet, they're going to look people in the eye and say, but this is not even the best that it gets. This is not all that you have. God gives you the opportunity to live for, we hope and pray, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth, but you can live eternally by knowing Jesus Christ and by professing him as your personal Savior and Lord. If we as a church believe and value human life, we're going to exalt Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the personal Savior and Lord of those that need to be saved. But I tell you another thing, if your church values human life, you're going to minister to those that are hurting. And honestly, that's everybody. You're going to look to families that are broken, point them to Jesus so that God can mend them back together. You're going to look to children that don't have the role model in their home, and you're going to provide opportunities for them to see and be invested in by other people in the church that will point them to Jesus and will model grace and forgiveness and holiness to them. And every church that values human life is going to take those steps to worship the one true and living God who gives life, exalt the Lord Jesus Christ who provides eternal life and ministers to those that have life and who need Jesus. We're going to talk about things like abortion. We're going to talk about difficult subjects like even the death penalty or uh, child abuse or spouse abuse or rape. And, and we're going to talk about these difficult things. Why? Because we value the life that God gives us. We value the fact that we can have forgiveness of our sins. We value the fact that God sent his son to make us overcomers of sin and not to legalize it. That's what happens when we are in control of all things. We learn how to legalize sin. But friend, if it's never been okay in the eyes of God, it'll never be okay even if it's right in our eyes. And that's the problem in these states that are approving partial birth abortions. They are legalizing sin and taking their thinking that they are taking away any guilt or backlash or consequences from partial birth abortions. And in fact, all they are doing is legalizing murder, which again, on the flip side, is what a lot of people believe the death penalty does. But what we have to do as believers in Jesus Christ is we've got to value life we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people have the opportunity to be saved. We need to minister to people that have been broken and hurt by sin, which is everybody. And we need to love one another the way that Jesus Christ loves us and the way that God loves us and gave his only son for us. That's the only hope that any of us have. And so I pray that if there's anything that I've said tonight that makes sense, it is that God is love and that we ought to then love one another and value the life that he has given to us. My name is Randy Johnson. I'm the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky. I'm so thankful for 101.9 WAIN giving me the opportunity to have this one hour to spend with you every Wednesday evening, this one-hour episode is going to be uploaded on my podcast tomorrow morning. That podcast is called Walk This Way. You can find it on Google, Spotify, iTunes. You can find it on the website that hosts the podcast, which is called Anchor. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on your computer, on your iPad, and even on your phone. Please subscribe to that podcast. You'll find this one-hour radio show the other episodes, you'll find messages I've preached. You'll find shorter podcast episodes, just a little shot in the arm through the week. And again, it's called Walk This Way. And I hope that you'll find it, like it, subscribe to it, 
and enjoy the content. My email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. If you want to share any thoughts or insights with me, I would love to hear it. Thank you so very much for joining me tonight, and I pray that you have a blessed week and let somebody know that you love them because God loves you and God loves them. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN, right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.